Very good. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's awesome to know that, uh, you know, we serve a God that goes before us in all things. And, you know, you listen to that song, you listen to those lyrics, and, you know, you're going to rise. <laughs> How do you rise uh, on eagles' wings? How do you do that? Well, you know, Jesus Christ went before us and paid our debt in full. Uh, and so now we can rise as well. We can rise in victory. We can rise in hope uh, because salvation is ours in Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, this morning, I, and I've been, I've been kind of stewing over this all week. And, and I know that it's the Lord because I wasn't initially thinking it. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, the Lord put on my heart. And I'm like, okay. So, um, you know, before we get into the message, before we do all that, I, I want to, uh, I want to apologize for last week. I have made a comment and I don't I, I pray that it wasn't taken out of context. I have made a comment in regards to grandchildren being a second chance for parents that may not have felt like they got it right the first time with grown children that are may that may now be grown, but are not walking with the Lord. And the reality is this. Nothing is impossible with God. OK, so I did not mean uh, that. If you are an adult parent and you have children that are adults of your own and they're not walking with the Lord currently, that the Lord can't intervene in that, right? Uh, the simplest thing and what I'm learning as a young parent is that obviously as parents, we're not perfect. No one's perfect. What children want and need is to see godly parents that are regenerated in their heart and that are repented in the way that they live, in the, act, in the actions they, they, they so choose. And so, you know, I, I know what I find big in my children's lives is even as young as they are, there's many times where I have to apologize <laughs> and I have to ask for forgiveness. And then in that asking of forgiveness, they see it modeled, lived out what it looks like to be forgiven of God and what it is to go before God and forgive. And so for those who may have adult children that are not walking with the Lord, it's something as simple as, or maybe it's not simple, but with the Lord's help it is. Maybe it is going to your children or your child and asking for their forgiveness and just being straight up with them as far as uh, if I had another chance, this is what I would do. But from here on out, this is how I'm living and this is my uh, this is how I'm exercising my faith in Christ for you to model after. And even if it comes to someone who's passed on, right, uh, you give it to the Lord. Maybe it's something getting out a piece of paper and writing it down so you're not because, right, we're not supposed to walk with guilt or shame. We're not supposed to live like that. What the enemy wants is for you to walk in guilt and shame and say, look what you didn't do. Look how you bumbled this up and messed this up. And so I share all that just because I don't know if it was taken out of context, the, the comments I made last week, but it was heavy on my heart that I, uh, you know, clear the air, <laughs> so to speak. We try to be as transparent as we can in this church, and I can't, I can't neglect when the Lord is putting something on my heart, a pressing matter. It may not mean anything for maybe only one person in this room. But the Lord had put that on my heart for a specific reason. So I wanted to make that crystal clear. Those were my intentions. And it was never to say that an adult child could never come to Christ uh, because there are deathbed confessions. Who are we to say that someone's not saved by regeneration of faith in Jesus Christ dying on their deathbed? You know, when you're about to die, a lot of things flash through your mind, right? Not that I've been there, but I could only imagine. And it becomes real, right? It becomes so real. What is worthy of spending time in and what are things that man it's just trivial right some things we just gotta let go and so i pray that's uh i pray that's for someone here this morning i know it is for someone here this morning or else the lord would not have impressed it upon my heart but with that man i'm so excited uh to get in the message this morning once again <laughs> i'm so lofty in my estimation of how far i think i'm gonna get with the limited time I have on a Sunday morning. And I was like, oh man, the next portion of Revelation is it's, it's the letter to the church of Smyrna. And it's only like four verses. We're going to get through the four verses. Well, it was like Thursday during the week. And I'm like, there is no way we're getting to these four verses. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I'm looking what the Lord's showing me. I'm like, you know, okay, Lord. And I'm okay with that. So Lord willing, we're going to get through verses eight and nine in Revelation chapter two. So with that, uh, if you can stand and you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. And we'll go ahead and read these first two verses. 
we'll have our little introduction and we'll get into the, the, the meat of our message this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we come before you. And Lord, we just want to give you hearts of sacrifice this morning. We, we come in not to uh, simply take, but we want to give. We want to give of ourselves. At, at your altar, Lord, we, we want to give uh, clean hearts, Lord, fresh hearts. May, uh, there's renewing that needs to take place this morning. Would you do that work that only you could do in the lives of your people? Regenerate us from the inside out. We need uh, correction. We need reproof. We need encouragement. Lord, all these things, they only come from your hand. So, Lord, do your word. Would you show us exactly what you have for us this morning, each and every one of us? We come expecting to, to, to get something from you that will motivate us to continue to walk on in our, in, our, uh, in our faith walk with you, Lord. And so would you make that possible as only you can? We thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. Today we are going to introduce uh, the church of Smyrna. So a little bit of background before we get into what's actually going on here in our text this morning. Smyrna was located in what is, again, modern-day Turkey. Uh, this city was about somewhat about 35 miles from the city of Ephesus. So we've already gone over Ephesus. So they were, they were somewhat close together. It, it's, it's a trip to me because I, I, look at, I think of our location, and I always think of the Bay Area, especially because you know, these are port cities, right? Ports where you know, ships come and go, people trek and frequent a lot so you got a lot of mixing and blending and people are trafficking all the time uh again smyrna rivaled ephesus in many ways because of its location and its access i don't know if you think about it it's like it probably wasn't as close as san francisco is to oakland but you get the idea i don't know a san mateo or maybe a little more inland livermore to san francisco or oakland they're they're in a relative area it wasn't all the way across the country it wasn't all the way in the midwest it was in the same similar region like i said 35 miles away maybe it's san francisco to san jose that's kind of the closest you can get what are we 46 miles away from san francisco so you get the idea get the picture in your mind of what's going on here as far as the geography goes this city, uh, Smyrna, has been described as the most beautiful of these seven cities. So the different letters to the seven churches, right? This uh, city of Smyrna, it's been said, it was a beautiful city, magnificent city. Today, it is called Ismar. And again, this is located in modern-day Turkey. Hopefully, someone's not that bad. <laughs> you know, anytime you hear a siren... You know, either someone's getting rushed to the hospital, having to go to the hospital, something's going on. So, you know, or we pray for whoever that is. Hopefully everything works out for them. Back to uh, Smyrna. So scripture doesn't give us any information really concerning the founding of this church. And Smyrna is not mentioned in the book of Acts. But some biblical scholars think that this church was founded during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And again, we, we regard that when you look at Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it kind of, I'm not saying going into depth, but you get a general observation of this is quite possible what, what might have happened here. Um, this Greek word translated Smyrna was the Hebrew word for myrrh, right? And we're familiar with myrrh because myrrh is associated in the Bible, right? It's a resinous substance, right, used as a perfume. Uh, we know that it's, it was used as a perfume for the living, not only the living, but also the dead. Matthew chapter 2, 11 talks about the living. And John chapter 19, verse 39 talks about myrrh being used for the dead, like kind of an embalming type thing. Uh, to make the body smell a little better than it is. As it, you know, we don't have to get into the rotting of flesh and all that, but you know it's not going to smell good. Its association, speaking of the, the, the name Smyrna, 
uh, with death, it perfectly pictures this suffering church. This church suffered a lot, right? They went through a lot. And it's evident in these first two verses that we see. Like myrrh produced by a crushing fragrant plant, excuse me, fragrant plant, the church at Smyrna was crushed by persecution. Hi, <laughs> beautiful. And it, but even though it was crushed in some, in some ways by persecution, it gave off a fragrant aroma of faithfulness to God while being persecuted, while being scrutinized. There was beauty that came out of it. There was a pleasant aroma, right? We know that the church typically expands and grows during heavy times of persecution. And while we see not that really going on in our country, it's kind of, well, at least in where we are now, it's kind of no wonder. If we get lax and we get (laughs) loosey-goosey, doctrine kind of gets thrown to the wayside, then you have all these weird myths and ideas that pop into the church and it's not that the church is growing, it's the church of Satan's growing. And, uh, you know, the remnant needs to stay focused so the remnant can be the remnant to truly be used. Well, yeah, something's going on. Uh, so the remnant can be used to help grow the Lord's church. You see, this message was a message meant to encourage them in light of what they were facing presently what they were about to face. We'll get into that next week, what they were going to get into, what they were going to be forced to get into. The Lord was going to tell them, this is what you're going to face. This is the opposition. This is what you can expect being a follower of Christ for their specific term, whatever was going on in their lives. These are things that the Lord was going to allow to come into their lives. So he was trying to encourage them despite what they were going to face. You see, The church of Smyrna, again, was going to have to endure some intense persecution and tribulation. Jesus wanted to encourage them to stand strong, even if it meant physical death. Even if it meant physical death. Today, be encouraged as we go through this message that it is sent to you personally. Ask God to strengthen your faith. So that you can endure whatever suffering in your own life, but you can come out victorious. Amen? That, that's, the, that's the heart of, of what we see in this message this morning. There are several main points, and the first one is this. True riches. True riches. Everlasting. Untainted. Things that won't rust, that won't fall away with time. True riches are not how the world defines wealth, but how God defines wealth how God defines it you see Jesus told the church of Smyrna that he knew their poverty yet he told them that they were rich the definition for poverty is this the state of being extremely poor the state of being inferior in quality or insufficient in amount Who's ever had insufficient funds in the bank? Oh, man. When I was in my teens and my 20s, <laughs> it was the bank was, it was always insufficient. Oh, man, back then you could write checks and, you know, <laughs> you would get away with it for a little bit till they go and cash it. Oh, you, hey, you don't have a balance. What is going You can't write this check. You have insufficient funds. Poverty. And ins- having an inferior in quality or an insufficient in amount. So if financially these believers in Smyrna were poor, how could they possibly be rich? Well, off top, we need to understand how the Lord values things. You see, in the Lord Jesus' kingdom, it always boils down to the matter of the heart. Everything centers around the matter of the heart. Where is your heart in regards to everything? In regards to him? In regards to yourself? In regards to your brother and sister? Or your neighbor? And what do we know? Who is your neighbor? Every said, thank you. Whoever said everyone, winner, winner, ding, ding, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Everyone. It's not just the person that lives on my court. It's every single person you come in contact with. It's the, you know, the person that doesn't deserve your love that doesn't deserve your mercy, that doesn't deserve your grace, that gives you a dirty look, that's your neighbor. 
I'm not, I'm not saying be a pushover, but again, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a whole other message. You see, money, an inanimate object, right? It's but a means to an end. Currency, money, paper, greenbacks, whatever you want to call it, is neither good or evil. But it is, as we know, believers of Christ, it is the love or the sensational lust, desire to have it, that is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what the Bible says. People that always say money's evil. Man, you guys, again, misquoting the Bible. Not you guys, but, you know, you find yourself coming across people and they try to quote scripture. And no, that's not what the Bible says. Money's not an evil thing. There are plenty Christians who are very financially wealthy and very faithful stewards of that wealth and do a whole lot of good with it. You see, many times we, we look at people with money or we look at Christians with money and we say, how could that person possibly be doing right? But as we will see, that's, that's totally not the case. You see, the point is material wealth is not a sure indication of God's blessing. That's the other side of it. Because sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm blessed. Well, how are you blessed? Because of your financial status? That doesn't necessarily mean that you are blessed by the Lord. If anything, having a lot of financial success means you have a whole bigger challenge on your hands and the Lord wants to really see how are you going to steward that wealth? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to piddle it away on things that are worthless and meaningless? Are you going to spend it solely on yourself and be so selfish that you guard it with your heart, right? You guard it with all of your being. You know, people who are rich many times, they can't sleep at night because they're constantly up, concerned about what wage is doing what and what, uh, you know, what investment is doing what. And, you know, I don't know how people work on Wall Street. That seems like such a stressful job. Oh, my gosh. You know, unless you're that person ringing that bell. You know, that must be pretty cool, ringing that bell. But, you know, uh, that's the other side of it. But also, being poor is not necessarily a sign of God's disapproval. It doesn't mean that you, you, God has, has not blessed you. You see, we have to get the proper perspective on how God sees things. Because you could be poor financially, but you could be rich. It goes both ways. Because... It is truly about the condition of one's heart. That's why it can go both ways. You see, remember the poor widow, the poor widow's might. Oh, man, uh, uh, this poor old lady, you know, is finan- uh, financially speaking, she gave one mite, which is less than one cent in our currency today. But the Bible says that she gave much more than the religious leaders who were heaping bags of silver and gold in that offering plate. But why? Because if I have a scale, the widow's might, <laughs> all the money's here. But it's a matter of the heart. She gave with the right intention. She gave with the right attitude. She gave with the right perspective. And so her little, it'll, itty bitty, what, what, what was looked at by the world is measly, counted as much more in God's eyes. Because she gave with the proper intent. We can do thousands of things outwardly, right? But if they're done with the wrong motive and the wrong heart, they're worthless in God's sight. Ooh, that stings. <laughs> so that means every single one of us have to, has to constantly check our motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, I was, I'll be real with you. I was, I was thinking, well, it wasn't me thinking. It was the enemy trying to attack me this morning. I, I, I hear and, you know, and I come and I, I come with a joyful heart. I do. You know, I don't look for, oh, well, I need this and I need that. And, you know, but I'm, I'm doing my normal routine and, and the enemy tried to creep in. It's like, you don't got no help. Why are you doing this? You're the pastor. <laughs> and, and I had a greater is he who is in me than greater than he is in the world. Perfect love casts out all fear. Satan, get behind me. You try to plant a little seed of, 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 of ungratefulness in my mind. Being like, well, how come no one else is showing up at 9 in the morning getting this ready? <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? Can I be honest? Can I be real? Because if I'm not real, 
then all this is fake because you're listening to someone who's being fake and not being led by the Holy Spirit. But what I'm saying is, the Lord had to show me quickly, that's not you. That's not your heart. That's the enemy trying to deceive you into thinking that you need to think like that. That's not how you're supposed to operate as a Christian. What are my motives? My motives from for being here early is that I, I, I want to pray over this place and, and, and I want to be used by the Lord to, to present... Uh, a place of, of a safe haven, a place where people can come and get spiritually fed and nurtured and, and, and people can come together in Christ and get what they need to get. And that's, that's the heart of it. It's not about any kind of applause or praise. It's not about any kind of money. It's not about trying to put something on YouTube and try to create some kind of spectacle. It's just clearly about doing what the Lord calls us to do. And so I share that because me, like every single one of you, we constantly have to check our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we give to that person who it seems is neglected? Hopefully, it is coming from a heart that has been cleaned. And you're a clean vessel and you're coming with pure motives. And it's not meant to uh, parade around, I've done this. But no, it's, it's because what if the Lord has done for me? Now, I simply want to continue to do this more and more on and on every day of my life and be, uh, you know, a blessing to others around me. So that's a beautiful thing. The second main point is this. Don't be deceived by some who claim to be followers of Christ, but are in fact (laughs) demons. And they sit in synagogues of Satan or churches of Satan. That's heavy, too. I mean, it gets raw when you start talking about this real stuff. It's just not this fluffy, fuzzy thing. Like there's, do we understand that there is warfare going on? We walk by faith and not by sight. So if you're constantly, if I'm constantly walking around and just seeing, oh, this is what it looks like. Everything looks nice. Everything looks like this. And we don't interpret in the spirit what is truly going on then we are failing at understanding the warfare that is going on around you and in you actually in the sense that you have the holy spirit and so now because you've sided with jesus christ you are engaging in warfare whether you realize it or not be a soldier that is ready to engage in this warfare and this warfare is engaged in how hiding the scripture in your heart and prayer (laughs) that's it you know, if you're in a position where you got to cast out some kind of demon in Jesus name, hey, it is what it is. But it's not all about that. It's not all the sensationalism. It's about prayerfully considering what's going on, prayerfully seeking the Lord in obedience, understanding the word, hiding the word in your heart and knowing that it's that word that has authority and power. That's why when I was attacked this morning, I could simply say, he who lives within me is greater than he who lives in the world. And instantly that thought vanished. And I'm sorry, I got all hyped up, but it just is what it is. I get like that with my son. And he's like, man, dad, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) You're always on me about this and that and trying to get me to memorize scripture. But it's the power of the word of God. Perfect love casts out all fear. And you don't got to say it all crazy. You could be calm like Lou and say it, but it's still going to have the effect that it's supposed to have because it's the word of God. But it's the warfare that we're in, okay? The reality is these Jews rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This is who these these, uh, synagogues of Satan in this context were. They were Jews who persecuted people who followed Jesus Christ. They thought because they had the law And they kept the law to the T that they were the only true believers. And as we've said and have searched the scriptures many times in this church, you can cross all your T's and dot all your I's and still have a wicked heart. So it's not about these outward things, these outward traditions that we hold so dear to or what these religious Jews held so dear to. The reality is by these Jews rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they actually renounced their status as genuine Jews. That's amazing. It's amazing because they held so deeply. And and again, we see this in this country. Our country is so divided by racial lines. Black people fighting so hard for this Black Lives Matter. And then you got conservative uh, whites or or conservative groups that are so, you know, the good old boys and down with this and I'm going to have my guns and this and that. But you know what? Don't hold on to that. 
this nationalism. We, we, need, we need to hold on to our identity in Christ. I don't care what culture you are. I don't care what race you are. It's Jesus above all that, right? And unfortunately for these Jews, they couldn't see that. And they said, no, you gave me the law. I'm holding on to the law. Even when the Messiah was in the flesh, it was so unfortunate. They, they were blinded by their own desire to try to fulfill this, 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 this hole in their heart. They thought the law, they thought, they thought holding on to the law was going to fulfill that, but only Jesus Christ could. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 is a beautiful verse, and it says, it tells us, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. And if you go in that context and continue to go on in those verses in, in, in that, uh, that portion of Scripture, it goes on to tell you that is those who are born of the Spirit, those who follow after the Spirit of God, those are the true children of God. And so we know, again, nationality don't cut it. <laughs> Your heritage don't cut it. You can say, oh, I'm 100%. You, you know, you got these... You got these people that claim that they're black hebrews but they're such a malicious group they have no true identity in christ they're holding on to this this heritage that's in some ways a fallacy because again it's not the outward appearance what is the lord concerned about he's concerned about your heart and my heart you know because if it was that easy well that's what that's what the jehovah's witnesses say too because they're like oh 144,000 of us are going to go. Well, there's way more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses in the world. So what does that mean? The rest of y'all condemned to hell? That's so sad. And they misinterpret the scripture too because that 144,000 is actually the Jews, is the remnant that will be saved in, in, in the Great Tribulation. So again, we, you know, this is why it's so important to not take what people say, not take what religion says. I, I preach this every week because it's so clear to me. Search the scripture for yourself. Don't take what I say. Take what I say and evaluate it against the word of God. And if it stands up, then it's like, okay, yeah, okay, Pastor Keith, I'm cool, good. <laughs> you know, uh, if I'm led by the Holy Spirit, I'll continue to come here for whatever season because I'm getting fed. But, uh, you know, once you start just referring to people and even commentaries, you know, you can find some commentaries, you know, because we're flawed people. Contra uh, comment, different commentaries written in different contexts for different time periods. You know, commentary is not an end-all, be-all. The Word of God is. You can weigh it up against it, but don't just take man's word for it ever. Please don't ever do that, because you'll find yourself in a world of hurt if you do. Remember, when the Lord was talking about circumcision of the heart, He was referring to an inward circumcision. I don't have to get all into it. We're all mature adults. We know what circumcision is. You know, a person's member can be circumcised. That does not mean that they are a true follower of Christ, but that's what these religious Jews referred to. It's just like a wedding ring. I say this all the time. This wedding ring doesn't mean that I'm faithful to my wife. It's just a, it's just a symbol. What good is a symbol if there's no integrity behind the person that's projecting the symbol? Right? So it's an inward circumcision of your heart, a cutting away of the old person, the wretched man, the wretched woman who was a sinner, and now you're regenerated in Christ. That's what it's about. You see, any who oppose the finished work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross, the cross, excuse me, as the only means of salvation, align themselves with these first century Jews who were known as the synagogue of Satan. And we know Satan is a deceiver. He opposes. That's what the name means in opposition. So if you or you know anyone who thinks there's another way to be right with God the Father and to get to heaven other than Jesus Christ, you or those people align yourselves willingly or unwillingly with Satan. That's crazy. That's crazy. So philosophy, um, psychotherapists, any of these things that are meant to try to give you some solace and peace and direction in life that do not operate under the unction of the Holy Spirit and do not claim that Jesus Christ is the only means to salvation, they all align themselves with Satan. And that is not a popular thing. And I know it because I experienced it in my own personal life with people very close to me when I tell them this is the only way and they have something to say about it. <laughs> it's the only way. It's not popular. It's not meant to be popular, but it's meant to be true. 
in absolute truth, meaning you cannot deviate, you cannot bend and contort it and distort it into something else, which is what Satan constantly tries to do. He tries to manipulate the word. He tries to manipulate the word of God so that true believers can be led astray and be deceived and rendered ineffective. We need not allow him to do that to us. Amen. All right. The third main point is this. Though you may suffer in this life as a Christian, you don't need to live in fear. This line of thinking goes completely against how we naturally operate. An example. So we've been in this pandemic for a while now. And this pandemic, (laughs) in the early stages of it, sent thousands of people to Costco hoarding toilet paper. It's a pandemic. I got to get as much toilet paper as I can get. I don't care. I'm pushing and shoving. I'm kicking. Get all the Lysol you can get. Get all the disinfectant. I got so much disinfectant. Oh, I'm going to be clean. I got so much toilet paper. The first thing these people did was panic. I'll be honest with you. I was not one of those people. I'm not running out to get toilet paper. It ain't that deep. It ain't that deep. But you see, these people were moved and gripped by fear to grab as much toilet paper as humanly possible. Because I guess if you're stuck in a pandemic for an unforeseeable amount of time, you need a whole lot of toilet paper. We don't live in Europe where, where bodets are, are the deal, <laughs> are the thing. And you could just do a splishy splash like a little duck. <laughs> you know, that's not sacrilegious. I'm just, you know, it is what it is, right? You see, but Jesus Christ encouraged the church of Smyrna not to fear, even though they were going to suffer. How is that even possible? We think of your own life. I don't know. Maybe... You or someone you know, they just got diagnosed with stage four cancer. They said, it's terminal. You are going to die. You only have so much time to live. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. How is it possible? How can, I, how can I not have fear? How can I not live in fear? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 tells us, this is beautiful. Hear this, please, clearly. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. You see, it's unfortunate. I get it because I go through this as well. You know, it's like I want to see my kids live to be grown. I, I want to be in a position where I can walk my daughter down the aisle and have her, see her off to be married to a godly man. I, I, want, I want to experience all that. And sometimes these thoughts pop in my mind and you start to, to get senses of fear. But you see, we're all going to die. <laughs> uh, we don't have to go down that gambit again. We know sin entered the world, unfortunately. Whoever's fault it was. People want to say it was Adam. Some people want to say it was Eve. Some people want to say they could have did a better job if they were created first. The bottom line is humanity sinned. Fell short of the glory of God. And because of that... Not only does spiritual death occur, but physical death occurs, and we have to die. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good thing, because if you think about it, if you don't die physically, you're never going to be with Jesus forever and eternity. So you want to be in this wasted body that, you know, I just look, and, I, and I, I, my wife doesn't enjoy it, but I enjoy growing out my beard. And as I grow out my beard every year, it just gets grayer <laughs> and grayer. And she's like, it's, it's thick, it's scraggly, I don't like it. You know, but this is, I don't, and I, I enjoy it, but I'm not going to enjoy being in this shell forever, right? Eventually, my shell is going to get more raggedy and more raggedy. doesn't matter how much I work out, you know, you, you, at some point, you're going to start getting ragged. You're going to start getting saggy. And that's a whole other thing. So when you marry people, young couples, we have a young married couple here, seek the qualities of Christ in that person. Do not go by looks alone. Because that woman is not going to look as beautiful as she did one day physically. That man is not going to look as handsome as he looked when you first married him one day. But the integrity, the character, the inner workings of that person are going to last forever. And it should be a beautiful thing that blossoms more and more over time. That's a whole other message. But anyways. (laughs) Be concerned about the one who can actually have the power to allow your body and your soul to go to hell. And that's how. I'm getting back to the point of how can you have confidence... And how can you have peace knowing that you're going to suffer physical danger in this life? Well, you serve the true and living God who has control over your soul. 
you might have to go through chemo. You might have to go through an ordeal where a limb gets chopped off. You may have to go through an ordeal where you see a very close loved one to you, their lives taken before you think it was their time, and you're, you're having to deal with that. Parents that have seen children pass on before they've gone. That, I can't imagine how heart-wrenching that is. But the way you get through it is you know that you serve the true and living God, as what that scripture says. He has the power that can destroy both your soul and both your body in hell. Fear him rather than the fear of your circumstances, rather than the fear of Satan. Amen. And that's what we need to hold on to. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when we get it. It's like, okay, man, I got confidence in Christ. I can walk headstrong in this world. Well, in the sense that not prideful, but I can walk in Christ headstrong, knowing that he goes before me. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter two, verse eight. Now we're going to really expound. Oh, I just enjoy being able to to do this, Lord, thank you. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's ri- it, rich, it richly is a blessing. Revelation 2, uh, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Okay. We'll briefly go over this again. Smyrna. This whole thing about Smyrna. It was a large, beautiful, and proud city. It was a center of learning and culture. <laughs> they were proud for their standing as a city. They were proud. They were like, this is our city. You know, I've no, I don't know if you've ever, ever watched uh, The Lorax. I watch a lot of kids' movies, you know, having two young ones. <laughs> Sneedville. Oh, man, they have a whole song. They have a whole get-up. Oh, Sneedville, we manufacture our trees. They're so proud of, of their environment and, and how they accommodate the people of Sneedville. This is how Smyrna was. It claimed to be the glory of Asia. This, this city was so prominent. You see, this was a rich city, Smyrna was, right? All the trade of that valley flowed into its markets and found outlets through its harbor. Like I said, it was a port city. You think of the Bay Area. I mean, we don't have a lot of ships going and coming right now because the price is so sky high. But before the pandemic, constantly moving, there's a lot of traffic, a lot going on. And this is what was going on with Smyrna. Um, it had a, a, a especially rich trade in wines. Smyrna, like Ephesus, was a city of wealth and commercial greatness. We also know from its history that this city was deeply rooted and committed to idolatry. One of the famous streets in Smyrna called the city, or excuse me, the Golden Street, actually there stood temples of false gods for Apollo, Aphrodite, Zeus, these Greek gods, right? But eventually, it got worse. The city of Smyrna went from worshiping these Greek gods to, to actually the Roman emperors, actually actual men, right? First, they're myths. They're worshiping myths and erecting statues and doing all this false idol worship. And now they're actually worshiping men. You might say, well, what does that mean to me? How, do I, how does that correlate to my life today? Well, the reality is we don't have little idols. Well, some, some cultures do where they have little idols still that they erect and they worship them and they put them in their houses and they put them on their entertainment centers and they put them on the, you know, the dashboards of their cars. But, uh, you know, anything that takes the place of God's seat on your heart becomes an idol. What do you get up in the morning thinking about the most? Do you drop to your knees when you get out of bed and praise God and ask the Lord's will to be done in your life and ask him to reveal things to you? Or are you off and running? You know, one of the first things that, that was impressed upon me a long time ago was get out of bed, get on your face. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not a formula, but it's out of adoration from him and understanding that my body doesn't operate on its own timing, that I'm in his hands on his time. And so I should give adoration and praise to him. And what you do in private is really reveals your character, really reveals the virtue and, and, and what you value. Right. Because I'm not doing it for show. I'm not doing it to be on my knees in front of you guys. I'm doing it to be on my knees and my face before God. And I'm not saying that that you need to do what I do. I'm just saying that's a conviction that needs to come from the Lord as far as what you put, what you place value on. These people place value on these myths and these legends. And then it went from that to actually putting value on people and praising men. And you look at today. I'm a, like I said, I'm a sports guy. I get it. And I'm not saying you can't watch football. And I'm, I'm, saying, I'm not saying you can't go to a football game on a Sunday and, and blow a little bit of money and have fun or whatever. What I'm saying is a lot of people, unbeknownst to them, we, we subscribe. We are a culture of entertainment. We erect people 
movie stars, uh, any kind of star, any kind of athlete. Uh, we pay them X amount. I was thinking about this the other day, and it just amazed me. We're the only culture that has made a multi-trillion dollar business out of sports, out of a game, any game. Man, that's just crazy when you think about it. Teachers are struggling just to make ends meet. Other people are struggling just to make it. And I'm not saying be, be socialist and just equal for everyone, because that's a whole other messaging gamut that's not a good thing. But what I'm saying is know your priorities. Me, know my priorities. You see, just like this culture back then, some of us have fallen into the temptation of worshiping people as if they deserve that sort of praise and adoration. You know, fanatic. A fanatic is someone who is just gonzo over some person. It's not a good thing. And they, they literally worship these people. I mean, we have, we have television shows, American Idol. I mean, how more blatant can you get? You just named your show <laughs> American Idols. Wow. And I'm not saying you're sacrilegious if you watch the show. That's just like people saying, well, you can't. You can't do yoga because really it comes from, you know, uh, cult worship. It does. But, I, you know, I'm of the belief that, you know, what are you doing it for? Again, what's the condition of your heart? You know, now don't be going doing acupuncture and all kind of stuff like that. Because that, you know, that's again, all that stuff lets in demonic stuff. But if you're in the right mindset, you know, if that's your gig, I don't do yoga. But I'm saying if that's your gig, you know, just know what you're getting into. <laughs> Is all I'm saying. Now, now I'm opening myself up to a whole other can of worms. I don't want to go there, but let's, let me just stay on track. The bottom line is these people ended up worshiping people. They worshiped the Roman emperors, and this was not a good thing. Uh, so with, these wor- these, with the worship of these emperors, you know, this whole thing was, uh, you know, come once a year. <laughs> come once a year and give, uh, give this to me. Show your religious duty. Burn a pinch of incense at this altar to the Godhead of Caesar, and you're going to be given a certificate that guarantees that you've performed your religious duty. And this is what went on in that culture. But you see, at that time, all these true Christians would have never thought to do that. They would renounce Caesar and stay faithful to their Lord and their Savior. They would not give any man the name of Lord, nor would they... Uh, worship anyone else but Jesus Christ alone. It's, it's interesting. You look at the, the old, um, you know, European history and, and, and the kings and, you know, they call him, calling him Lord and this and that. And it's, it's very interesting to me because, again, you see how this bled into, you know, different cultures. And it's like, man, no, don't call that man Lord. He's not a Lord, you know. He's not a Lord. And at the very least, he's a Lord little L, not capital L. Definitely not all caps L-O-R-D. You know, but again, it's, that's, that's a slippery slope. He's a man. Now there are people in authority, and God has placed people in authority, uh, authoritative uh, positions for a reason. Without that, you're going to have utter chaos. So I'm not saying that you should have total anarchy. What I'm saying is, uh, again, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what's God. So God should have all praise and honor, not mankind. The application is this. We are to respond the same way when urged and tempted to conform to the social norms of our culture. You see, we are to stand for the truth in Jesus Christ, no matter how times have changed. Because truth remains truth, no matter how times have changed. Because this is the reality that we see in the Bible. Just look at the many parallels between Ephesus and Smyrna and how we live in the Bay Area. I mean, again, I, I just could not get this picture out of my mind as I was studying this week. You see, all these areas were both financial hubs where a lot of people came and went. Real estate was prime in these areas. It was very expensive to live. All of these cities prided themselves on being innovative for their time. I mean, I think of San Francisco being in the leader for uh, uh, the leading activist for gay rights. That's San Francisco. All the rest of the country is emulating what San Francisco does. We're hanging gay flags up everywhere. We're permitting this kind of lifestyle. We're embracing it. We're saying, yes, this is a beautiful thing. This is a great thing. Make it nationwide. This is what America is now. We do that here in the Bay Area. And Silicon Valley being the epicenter of technology for the entire world. 
You know, if when we get nuked, we're going to be one of the first to get nuked, right? You know, when China's going to go off and do what they do, or whoever's going to do it, Russia, whoever, they're going to come here because it's all here. Oh, Apple got their little bunker underground and all that, whatever, you know. It's not going to save you when it goes down. It's not going to save anybody, maybe for a little bit, but in the long run, we're not like roaches. We're not going <laughs> to revitalize and, and still keep going. No, it's going to be a bad look. But you see these parallels between us and the culture back then. You see, with such a progressive and liberal stance on life, the, 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 the state government here in California and the counties, in a very indirect way, they want people to show their loyalty to the state. And, and we see this. We see this. I sent a text out in the middle of the week, and <laughs> Lou made a funny comment. He said, so you mean I don't, I don't need to uh, trust and rely on the government for everything? You know, when the Bible says, you know, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You saw many, many, many times people do not trust in the Lord. And they're relying on their own understanding. And they're going off of what the media says and what the news says and what the politicians say. And that's the guiding force of their lives. You see, I have the, the interesting task of hearing what the government and all that say, but also taking my directions from the Lord and straddling that line of not going, not going into just being led, not at all being led by the government, but taking heed to what they say. But again, fearing the one who can cast my soul to hell on my body. And so the whole point is you trust in the Lord, not in man. But we see again, the, I'm painting this picture because we are in a similar situation, if not worse than what was going on back then. I mean, it's blatant. It's out there, people. And this is why it's so important to walk with integrity. Walk in a way that's worthy of the call upon your life. Because people are looking for truth. And a lot of their, that they're finding is falsehood. Because even the people that claim to be true, it's like, dude, your, your character is messed up. You're not, you're not living how you say you live. You live like you say how you're supposed to live, how the Bible says on Sundays. But then the rest of the week, you're living like a devil. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be us. We should be those that walk with integrity, meaning we walk in high value when no one's looking. When no one's looking, we're the same. We're the same. We don't change before man or before women. Next it says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. The first and the last. So we know that this is a title that initially appeared to John, and it speaks of Jesus' eternal character. First and last, again, are titles that belong to the Lord alone, capital L, capital O-R-D, Yahweh. This is according to Isaiah 41.4, 44.6, and 48.12, if you're interested in looking it up for yourself. Next, we see this statement, who was dead and came to life. You see, Jesus chose this title from his initial appearance to John to remind the Christians in Smyrna that they had served the risen Lord, victorious over death. Death could not hold Jesus, and it could never hold his people. Example of this is the association with death and the victory of resurrection is throughout this letter. Again, the name Smyrna comes from the word myrrh, a sweet-smelling perfume used to embody dead bodies. If you notice that you look at these first two letters, Jesus addresses the Ephesian church and the church in Smyrna in a similar way. This is beautiful. At first glance, you could look at it and say, well, okay, well, what does that mean to me? It's just it's nothing. What are you trying to point out? All, all it's saying is Jesus is giving his titles to the churches, to two, to two different churches. But we, we need to look beyond. What does the scripture really say? What it says is that our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't waver. He doesn't change. You see, what I see in the scripture is I see consistency in both of these greetings to these churches. They could be sure that they were hearing from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For you and I today, no matter what goes on in your life on the face of the earth, Jesus Christ will be the same for you. Amen. That, that is why you should be able to attend any service, any worship. And though maybe styles of worship music will be different and maybe other parts of the service may be different as far as the order. Um, the core foundational principles should never change. And that is Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the only source of our salvation. That's true. That's a great barometer. 
You know, if you ever leave here, the first thing you better ask wherever another church you go to, you better go up to the main pastor and say, what's the way to heaven? And if he even stutters and doesn't say, Jesus Christ, you better get out of there. And if it's a woman, you better get out of there. I'm touching nerve, maybe. Women should teach and preach women and children, not in the church like this. Up for debate? Talk to me after. It's all good. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, this is pretty heavy right here. He says, I know your works. Jesus knew the works of the Ephesian church, right? Remember, he is sovereign over everything. It's hard for us to comprehend, but that's where a measure of faith has to come in. And you have to trust that you didn't just, you weren't just created out of some spawn with some chemicals coming together. And all of a sudden there was some explosion and then you evolved over trillions of years. And that's how you came to be. What? But you got a conscious, but you know that right from wrong. You know that when you do something wrong, you feel bad. And when you do something good, you, you feel elation. That comes from spawn. That comes from some kind of mold and whatever, whatever, you know, whatever evolutionists say. Just in the, this is a side thing, but I'll say it anyways. Just in the statement of saying there is no God, evolutionists already prove there's a God. Because if God didn't exist, why are you even acknowledging the fact that there is no God? In that statement, you already, you hear, unbeknownst to them, right? They already pronounce that God exists because they're even willing to, put out that statement it's very interesting where we go in our own understanding in our own thinking without god because again all you have to do is go to romans chapter one (laughs) we want to create god in our own image in our own liking so then that way we're not accountable to anybody and we can do whatever we want and feel okay and not feel bad oh i I can live in polygamy because it's okay (laughs) i don't want to get into that because that's a whole other thing and people will say, oh, you're attacking religions. No, I'm pointing out that the fact that they're satanic. You know, it's not okay. It's not good. And you can read all about Joseph Smith and where all that comes from. It's not good. It's not good at all. But we shouldn't not like those people. We should not be praying for those people that they come out of these cults and come to know the true and living God. If anything, unveiling the truth of these false religions should give us a deeper adoration for God and give us a deeper love for people. Now, if it's causing you to hate, now you got an issue <laughs> that you got to get right with God because your heart should be burdened for these people that are lost, that are stuck in these religions where you got to cover up everything. You gotta, they're chopping off hands if you'd steal. You, this and that. It's just craziness going on in the world that's been going on. But that's, man, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting into some stuff. But, you know, I, I, need, I need to stay on track. So I apologize for that. Jesus Christ knows and sees what we cannot see. He sees clearly the real you and the real me. You see, in Smyrna, Jesus also knew their works. He knew their tribulation and he knew their poverty. He knew these hardships, both in the sense that he saw what happened to them, but also in the sense that he knew their hardships by his personal experience. The application is this. The Bible says true followers of Jesus Christ will suffer for him. Did you know that, saints? Did you know today you're going to suffer for Christ? Some way, shape, or form, you will suffer. You may not suffer the way someone suffers in the Middle East, in Asia, in China, but you're going to suffer. There's many of us that do suffer psychological spiritual attacks, emotional spiritual attacks, The fact that family members astray you or leave you astray because of your faith. They they, they denounce you. They denounce your faith. And that that hurts the most when you have loved ones, your own flesh and blood, who say, you're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You need to be broad in your thinking. No, everyone has a way to God, their own way. And they denounce you because you say, no, I make the true proclamation that there is only one God, one Lord, and it is the man, Jesus Christ, the God man, I should say, Jesus Christ. And they do not like it. But you will suffer for the Lord. 
By choosing to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are setting ourselves up to be at odds with the world. Suffering in some form will, is always going to be part of being a true follower of Christ. Jesus said the path that leads to life is difficult. Second, Second Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But you don't have to fear. You can embrace that. When you sense that, when you see these different things manifesting in your life, those are, those are markings that you're his. And like I said, it doesn't have to be some extreme thing where you're going to get beheaded or you're going to get thrown in prison. But for sure, you on your job and you proclaim Christ, people are going to look at you funny. People are going to look at you sideways. Oh, you're a Christian? <laughs> you know, I, I, wear this, I wear this sweatshirt sometimes in my work and it's, you know, whatever. It says Jesus culture on the back. And, you know, I get, I get some compliments. I get some looks like, huh, what? You know, some people don't look at me the same. I don't care. It is what it is. But when you proclaim Christ you will experience some form of opposition. That is just the nature of serving the Lord. According to history, again, Smyrna was a prosperous city, yet the Christians in that city were poor. The word used for poverty here is the word for objective, not objective, A-B-J-E-C-T, object poverty. They were not just poor. You see, the Christians of Smyrna knew poverty because they were robbed and fired from jobs in persecution for the gospel. They were, they were treated harshly because they would not renounce their faith. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34 tells us, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunders of your poverty, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Speaking of Jesus Christ, this kind of economic persecution was one important reason why Christians were poor in Smyrna. Basically, when they pronounced their faith, they were denied jobs. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you openly profess your faith and all of a sudden your employer said, you know what, I can't have you. It may, it may come to that, right? It may come to that. This, this country is going to go under some kind of civil war at some point. We had a civil war back in the day. It's going to be another civil war because I can guarantee you, no one, some people are not going to take it lying down, all these changes that are occurring. They are going to fight against uh, the government, the powers that be that are going to try to impose restrictions and new regulations and rules upon them. We've already seen it. You, I mean, you have to be living under a rock. You know, we saw what happened at the Capitol, you know, what was it, a year ago now? I, I thought I'd never see that in my lifetime. That's crazy. You know, I grew up where you pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You know, and you did say, for the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I can't believe remember, I still remember that. But those things are ingrained in me because that's how I grew up. There was an American flag in the corner hanging in the elementary schools and the junior highs and the high schools I went to. I graduated in 96. That's not that long ago. You know, but nowadays, my goodness, you got gay flags hanging up in the schools. What? And you got teachers saying, if you want to, stand up. What? If that's not alarming to you as a Christian, you're not walking close enough to Jesus. Because the world just thinks it's okay. They think it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I, I have a righteous anger towards that I don't want anyone's child being poured into like that teach my children English, math and science don't teach them your views and trying to indoctrinate them in something that only the parents should have the right to indoctrinate in their children but yet we see this across the board and again, and like I said if you speak up against it you face all kind of persecution. Everyone got a bone to pick with you. But I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that because the Bible says marriage is one man, one woman coming together, one flesh. That's it. I'm not trying to give you guys a history lesson or education lesson, but we, we're sensible people. <laughs> you know that children can only be born out of that state. A man and a man and a woman and a woman coming together are not going to produce a baby. And then they say, well, it's my right. Everybody's, it's my right. 
It's my right. It's my body. No, it's not your body. It's God's body. You're stewarding that body. You're choosing to make yourself how you want to be for your own lustful desires. Now, I love those people just as much as I love someone else. They just have a different form of sin. It's still sin. Sin is sin. They're no better or worse than any other sinner that steals and, 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 and you know, makes fake money and lives and just creates a lavish lifestyle out of some, some bad stuff. But either way, it needs to be addressed and it needs to be said it's not right. It's not right. Oh, man, I got off track again. <laughs> Smyrna and, and the Christians being persecuted because of uh, their faith in Christ economically, right? Uh, again, even today, this is a common form of persecution amongst Christians. The application is this. One of uh, the markings that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is that you face, again, some sort of opposition. Maybe I've expressed that again. That's okay. This is a great one. This is beautiful. You guys have heard this many times, but I'll say it again because it's so rich. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you on all charges? Or are you an undercover saint? Are you one of those Christians where, man, they can't tell if you saved or if you living with the devil. They got no way of knowing your conduct, your character, the way you carry yourself, the way you speak. And I'm not saying speak all lever beaver. I'm talking about you don't do all that water cool talk where they talking about all this, you know, many stuff that went on over the weekend. And, oh, I hooked up with this person at the club and went in and then this and that. And you just go get brought into it because you don't have no integrity to say, I don't live like that. Now, you don't got to go checking them and saying, don't talk like that in front of me. But you shouldn't be over there chumming up. Just what I talked about last week. Don't don't run up to sin and hug sin like a good like an old snuggle teddy bear and, and love on it. There should be evidence that you are a Christian, that you follow Christ. There should be. And like I said, you don't have to be all suit and tie, but it should be the conduct, the conduct of your character, the conduct of my character, how I come across, how I live amongst the world. There should be markings that I am not of this world, that I am of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been regenerated. My heart has been changed. Jesus goes on and he says, I know the blasphemy. Jesus knew the abuse these Christians endured at the hands of religious men, those who say that they are Jews and they are not. You, say, you see, excuse me, historically we are told that there is a large and hostile community of Jews in Smyrna, but this tells us that a true, a true Jew, excuse me, is one who trusts God and believes in Jesus Christ. Oh, I love this verse. This is what I was alluding to earlier in the message. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Again, that inward circumcision of your heart, spiritually speaking, not this physical thing. You see, others may be Jews ethically or ethnically, excuse me, which still has its place before God. We know that God has his chosen people, which are the Jews. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to denounce that. But what I'm saying is. But they are not Jews spiritually before God because it has to do with your conduct. It has to do with your character, not just basically your bloodline. He says, I know, I know. He's, he's, he's confirming to them. He, I understand the struggles you're going through. You see, in the midst of this kind of affliction, it is easy to think that God has forgotten you. But Jesus knows. Where are you today? Maybe you're going through something and you feel like, Lord, do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see the struggle my family is enduring. I'm following you faithfully and this is what I'm dealing with. Lord, help me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you today. You need to be encouraged that the Lord knows and he sees and at the proper time he will strike and he will allow the blessings to flow from heaven from his hand into your life. Next we see that Jesus thought about how Jesus thought about the church in Smyrna, that they were rich. That they were rich. Every outward circumstance says that these Christians in Smyrna were poor, even destitute. But Jesus saw through the circumstances of their lives that they were really rich. This is what Jesus thought of them. And if Jesus considered them rich, then they were rich. The application is this. And I'll end with this uh, last point as the worship team comes up. Our estimation of ourselves is far less important than God's estimation of us. 
how God sees us. That's so much more important than how we see ourselves. You see, in contrast, we will learn that the Christians of Laodicea, though they were rich, they were really poor. And that's going to be hardcore, Lord willing, when we get to that, where he talks about, man, you guys are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Either be hot or cold. It's better that you just not believe at all than if you be up in here with one foot talking about I'm down for you. And that's what I'm talking about. Living like a Christian on Sunday, living like hell the rest of the week. He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Smyrna was a rich, poor church. Better to be a rich, poor church than a poor, rich church. Y'all in here, me, (laughs) I truly believe we are a poor, rich church. We don't got all the bells and whistles. We don't got hundreds of people coming in every Sunday. We don't got this and that going on, bannering around. But we are founded and rooted in Christ. And that's what counts. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, it, it's so important that we, 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 we integrate this kind of thinking into our lives. It's a matter of the heart. What does the Lord see? What do you see beyond just the physical, right? Look at your own life. Question, <laughs> where am I? Well, Lord, what are you trying to pour out into me, pour into me so that I may walk in, in, in a character worthy of receiving this from you so that I can be used, so that I can be spiritually rich. This is something that we want, church. This is something that we should strive to grow in every day. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you just for, uh, again, just your truth that comes through every time. So crystal clear, so perfect. It's not something we can drum up. It's not something we can try to write. It's something that you supernaturally reveal to us. And it's powerful. It has the power to save a man or woman's soul. Lord, please help us to harness this and carry it with us the rest of the day. Help us to remember that you're always with us and that we have total union with you because of what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross. May we always be encouraged in that. And Father, we thank you for all you've done. We praise you. We give you all honor and glory. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.